Welcome to the Lovability Podcast. My name is Jennifer Stiers, and I'm here with my sidekick, Brad. We're here to talk love and relationships, sex, marriage, and everything in between. Please make sure to tune in at the end of our podcast. We're going to do our Dear Jen segment, where one of our listeners asks a question, and I answer it for you online. Today, I'm here with my sidekick, Brad. What's up, lovability? (laughs) And I've got two special guests in studio that I'm so excited about. Um, I've got Michael Moulton and Rachel Stacy. They are here to talk about addiction today. So say hi. Hi, Jennifer. (laughs) Hi, Jennifer. Yeah. Say hi to everybody because we're we're going nationwide with this. Hello, everybody out there. We're going to have a big conversation today uh, with with people about addiction because. You know, we were, we've, I've actually been on, uh, Michael's podcast. Uh, what is the name of your podcast again? My MT, M2. It's called M2, The Rock. The Rock. That's M, the letter M, the number two, The Rock. It's an unbelievable podcast. I mean, what you do, um, what you do for people and how you educate people and how you support them is amazing. Thank you. Uh, and, uh, Rachel's a musician also. (laughs) So you, uh, you're, you're multi-talented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I try. <laughs> uh, but the two of them have are both uh, recovering, right? Is that what we would say? Recovered, recovering? How do you refer? That is correct. Yeah. I mean, I, I can only speak for me, and that's what we do in the program. You know, I'm Michael, and I'm a recovering drug addict alcoholic. Okay. Uh, my clean date, sobriety date, the last time that chemicals were in my body was on May 29th, 2017. Wow. Yeah. Are you ever recovered? Um, you know, it's, it's a, um, I don't like to be because if, you know, once I'm recovered, then my brain starts telling me, you know what, you got recovered so you can go back out there and do it again and then just go get recovered again, you know? And so, (laughs) so I'm always in recovery. Um, I'm not perfect. Um, you know, recovery is, is, you know, recognizing, you know, behaviors, old behaviors, um, and, um, you know, and, and getting in solution and trying not to live that life. I want to ask Rachel the same question, but before I do, I, I do want to say, you know, we're talking about alcohol and drugs with you, with right. that was your, uh, that was your choice. But I think that addiction goes much further in relationships. I mean, we have, I mean, of course, alcohol and drug addiction can affect relationships. Uh, also there is uh, addiction to love, uh, love addicts, pornography, uh, you know, there's, there's all kinds of, there's all kinds food. of addiction, food I think I've addiction. even heard you say sex addict. Sex addicts. Absolutely. You can just shopping, anything. And shopping. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. There's, there's lots of different, uh, lots of different, uh, drugs of choice. Uh, and so Rachel, you, which again, I had asked Michael, uh, would you consider yourself recovering or recovered? Recovering. recovering. Now I am recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind. Okay. That's where um, and at least the program I'm in, that's uh-huh. what you're recovered from that. But I'm in recovery because it's continual. It's not, I, if I stop doing what I'm doing and I stop um, working with others, which mm-hmm. is the bottom line, then I run the risk of losing that recovered spot, if you will. Got it. You know, it's interesting to me, uh, just with my mindset, I would think that it would be more helpful to be recovered because once you're recovered, it's almost like, okay, I'm recovered. That no longer owns me. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good way to look at it. I mean, and, and so it, it no longer has a hold on me. As long as we're recovering, we're still in a process. So it's still a part of your life. 
I'm, I'm, but it's me. It's a way that I think, I think I'm very black and white with Mm -hmm. things. And because I think there are choices that we have to make in life about things. And, and, but again, it's not, that's not my journey. Well, and I think for the person that is recovering, what, well, I guess, because what you're saying is totally valid. I get it. It no longer owns me. What what happens is if I stop doing the continuing process of recovery, uh-huh. I go back to that old life and it will own me. But so it's a I'm different a day- lifestyle. If you're recovered, it's different. Like your life is different. I'm recovered and my life is different now. Mm-hmm. The things I did before I don't do anymore because I'm recovered. Right. The things I thought before I don't think anymore because I'm recovered. <laughs> anyway, I'm it's... No, no, it's, no I know valid. it's I know it's uh, <laughs> I know it's always one of those things. Anytime I've ever been around somebody that's been through the program, mm-hmm. uh, I have, uh, and it just seems to me always reminding yourself of your addiction would keep you in addiction. I don't know, or in that well, state of. But if you're on, I feel like in our meetings, the only time I think about doing that, because I'm in there listening to people that are, because we share a different place. Well, we're sharing our experience, strength and hope for those that walk in that have no, they have no hope. And so when we tell that's in the rooms, you talk about success with your sponsor or your accountability partner. That's when you get into finding out why you drank or why you drugged, why you're doing these addictions, different addictions. Of all, the, so there's all kinds of addictions. In all, the well, they, we, they manifest different. Got it. They, they'll manifest a totally different addiction. It just isn't that actual substance. So, so for the people that are out there that are uh, in relationships with people, whether they be friends, family, or a loved one, uh, that are addicts. Mm-hmm. Uh, First of all, I think there's so many people that are addicts. There's that denial stage. They don't know that they're an addict. So how do you convince somebody that they're an addict? They're clearly an addict <laughs> if they don't want to believe that they're an addict right. or they, they're, they're in denial about it. And how do you get somebody to those meetings? I mean, what has to happen in somebody's life? Um, you know, you always hear that term rock bottom, right? Um, what has to happen in somebody's life to get them there to say, I have a problem? Hmm. You want me to take this? Or? Well, I am 13 years in a, another program called Al-Anon. We're not supposed to really talk about it, but I'm going to today because you asked that specific question. I can, I'm addicted to people, too. And if I'm addicted to changing you, this isn't any relationship. If I'm trying to change you, there's a problem. I'm not focusing on me. Now, the addict we love or the alcoholic what, or what of any addict of any sort, that we love them so much that we want them to get better, we get sicker because we're trying so hard to get them to do, we want them to live the life they want to. So I learned in the other program, because I was raised in this, I was raised in that active, uh, not a disease of isms, if you will. And so in what we learned is that addiction to people, it sounds funny now that I say it, because it can, there's a difference between caring and uh, codependency, as you know, you know, so we can suggest. And so what we learn in that other program, which is what I've been doing before, I've been it's so a great I've been, program. I mean, I think it's perfectly relevant to talk about because there's so many totally people in relationship. Yeah. I mean, if you're not the addict, you know, and the addict won't get help, then people should go to, to Al-Anon. Al-Anon. And people don't understand when I got into Al-Anon, I was trying to fix him and get him to stop drinking. Not Michael, uh-huh. but I was trying to get them to stop drinking or treating me a certain way. Uh, I was told, leave him alone. Right. Leave him alone. He has to he has to recover on his own. Right. And I mean, as much as that hurts, what happens is the relationship gets weird because 
all of a sudden you're not on their jock anymore. You're not like, why aren't you getting sober? What do I love you? I love you. What's the problem? What's and, the problem? And <laughs> there's an addiction with because they need you. Mm hmm. And so you're addicted to their needing. You know what I mean? The, exactly. The, the, uh, the codependent, exactly. right? So, yeah. so it's a fine line. I've been sober for uh, from drugs and alcohol for eight years. I'll, uh, I'll have eight great. years. I'll have eight years. November six, two thousand eleven. That's amazing. Amazing. But I'm never ever <laughs> sober from the codependent caring thing. That it's, so it's a daily process right. to work it. Right. You know, it's funny. I was just joking with somebody the other day. I. I chased a dog. I mean, I love animals. Love so I'm animals. an animal rescue. Talk about an addiction. And I know. And <laughs> it's so a good one, it's a cat rescue addiction for you. <laughs> so, um, I was chasing this dog for like it 45 is. minutes and, See? uh, and I said, somebody said, well, you know, I love that you do this and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I learned a long time ago. It was better. It's, it's easier to save animals than it is people. Ooh, and yeah. it was a, it was a better choice. Cause I, I'm not saving people anymore. I can't save them. Um, they can, people can only save themselves, but I can save an animal. And mm -hmm. if it's still in my blood to want to save, you know, and I've been an animal rescue since I was a kid, I've been bringing you animals, I've been bringing that. dogs home <laughs> since I was a little, um, my parents can attest to that. We always had a few, uh, because of me, but, um, <laughs> uh, so, um, so back to relationships. Uh, so what happens? So you're the codependent. So you're also addicted to that relationship. So. What happens if somebody is in a relationship with somebody who, I mean, because all the shame that must be um, involved with being involved with someone with an addiction, whether it's alcohol, sex, porn, you know, love addicts, that's a little bit more, a um, little more hidden. Right. But how do, how do you get somebody help that doesn't want help? And how do you get them to realize, or do they just have to hit rock bottom, whatever that is? Uh, go ahead, Michael. Well, I want your listeners to, to, I want to be real clear that your listeners really understand what is addiction. Okay, okay? great. That's good. You Perfect know, backup. A, a addiction is, uh, a, it's a person, it's a place, it's a thing that has made my life. That's a noun. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that has made, that, that has, um, that has made my life completely unmanageable. Okay. An addiction is a mental obsession. That okay. makes your life unmanageable. That makes my life unmanageable. An addiction is is that I'm powerless over this person, place, or thing, right? I'm powerless over this visible thing that has got my life completely out of control. What, what would an example be? So somebody's feeling powerless, whatever that addiction may be. What would that, what does that look like? What does that sound like? Okay, what so for me, to, just to paint the picture here, because addiction, the, the stigma is when we think of addiction, the first thing that we think about is drugs and alcohol, right? I do too. I get it. I totally get that. But addiction is so far-fetched, and, and the more recovery I get, the more spiritual I get, the more the word sin makes sense to me, right? That's always been a church word to me, okay? But what it looks like for your listener, for me, my personal story is, is that the very first time that I had a legal consequence as a result of drugs and alcohol, which is I got arrested. Mm -hmm. um, I took, it was taken down to Lou Starrett Justice Center. I got a mug shot. Now, here I am, this home builder. Was it a DUI? This was a DUI okay. and a possession of a controlled substance, which was cocaine. Oh, wow. All right. So there you go. So the world's, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's exactly right. So now I got a mug shot on. I'm a home builder yes. in the Park Cities. And I am all my thinking about is my reputation and my ego and pride, like no one didn't know anyways, right? 
And so, so what I did is, and I was arrested and I was sitting in there and Jennifer, I, I knew my life was out of control and I swore on my life. I was never, ever, ever going to do this again. And I meant it. And even the people around me believed me for that time on the phone when I was getting bonded out. When I got released within three hours, I was drunk and high again. Okay. 26 mugshots later and losing everything, 26. 27 total mugshots. All right. That is called powerless. I'm completely powerless over this disease. All right. And so in recovery, the way we recover or get into recovery, like, like Rachel, myself, and millions of people in recovery is the first step is I have to get honest. See, I was constitutionally incapable of being honest with my disease because it wasn't my fault. I justified mm -hmm. everything, I, the drinking and drugging. If you had my life, you would do it too. If you, this happened to you, you would do it too. And the more and more my consequences increased, the more I would justify my use, right? And so, so you're making excuses. That for I was it. making excuses. So I want to make the listener be completely aware. Now, drugs and alcohol, I have an allergy to it. When I start it, I process it differently than you do. I can't stop, right? And so I always tell everybody when I speak, I drank and did drugs for the effect. Mm -hmm. That's why I did it. It wasn't because I was dealt a bad deck. All right. That's I'm being completely honest. Now, there are people out there saying, OK, how does this relate to me? It relates to all of us. What is it in your life that has your life completely unmanageable today? I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm struggling with codependency for the first time in my entire life. We talked about that the other night a yes, little bit, you know, did. and that's so new to me. And it's so I'm so fearful of it because of being in recovery. I don't want to mess up again. So I'm struggling with another addiction and I'm, I'm in a lot of shame about it and I don't know what to do about it, but I need to ask for help. So I want to jump in here for a second because I want to, because I have some, some of my own family experiences and you, you talk about being powerless against something. And it's been my experience and some of the, the things that I've heard from family members is life became so hard, so powerless that they turned to this to get away. So in your opinion and stuff and kind of y'all's experience, what came first? Did life sucking come first and you ran to it? Or did you just, like in your case, you said you just enjoyed it, it sounded like. Like you just enjoyed the feeling of alcohol and drugs, right? I mean, so. Well, I drank for the effect. And the, and the very first time I got drunk and high, I chased that effect for 40 years. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? That's, I chased it. and I could never recapture it. So that's why I kept doing more and more and more and more and more and more. And that's why my life became more and more and more unmanageable. Right. Because I think what's important is for people to understand is what leads to that powerless feeling. Where, uh, how do you get there? Right. So let me jump in real quick because what you asked him and then, sorry, did I interrupt you? I'm so sorry. Um, I just want to interject with him. It's the same thing. I am an addict and alcoholic who had no clue I was drinking and drugging to cover emotions. I had to work the steps. I had to get help. I'll never forget November 5th, 2011. That's the night, my last night. And 11, 6, 11, I woke up and said, oh, my God, I need help. Something's wrong. I what, didn't know. Did you feel like, were you physically ill? Like, what was it that drove you? Where, where? I'd been struggling for a while thinking, because um, I told, I, like I said before, I was in fitness before music and stuff like that. And I used to say, one day I'm not going to drink. <laughs> one day I'm not going to drink. 
And prior to that, I, you know, I, I, I was, I was an experimental drug user at the time. And, you know, we all did it maybe as a young kid and quit or young adult and quit. Here's the problem. I could do that for many years. It's when it started catching up with me, meaning like, I'm like, I was, he, like you said, it's an obsession of the mind. And so and you're in the music industry. So there's, oh, it it's, was, you're in the nightlife around it all the time. And so you're all the time and you're, you're still, which is amazing. I know. And that, and it's funny sober. being sober, you start to see, and I'm just now, I'm just clearing after eight, almost eight years. And what my answer to the question is, I honestly, like people say, when they say I drink for the effect and the, the stuff like this, I did too. I had a blast. I thought, meanwhile, I was running my life. And so next thing I knew, 11, 6, 11, I woke up. I was like, I can't live like this anymore. Meaning there's some situations that started going like, you know, not no normal person wakes up and goes, I need to stop drinking like this. They don't. They, it is, it is a known fact, but here's where it's crazier. There's some people who just stop drinking and have a great life. Mine was not stopping. It was just not, I don't care how much therapy you spent. Something was wrong. So 11, 6, 11, when I woke can, up. Can a true alcoholic, like alcoholic, just stop drinking and be okay? There are people out there that do. They do. They, they can do that. It just depends. I, I truly believe, though, you just said the key word. You said true alcoholic. If you're a true alcoholic, I do not believe that you cannot drink and not have a program. That's my belief. This is why. If you don't have a God connection, a good, whether you want to call it the big bearded guy in the sky or good orderly direction, if you don't have some kind of a spiritual connection, it's, and you're just not drinking, you're a miserable human being. And I, I got to tell you, I've seen some dry alcoholics and it's terrifying. It's, they're so unhappy. It's a terrible thing. And meaning that, so we encourage, there's people come in. I love it. They'll, they haven't drank in like 10 years and they'll come in our program and they're like, I'm miserable. I, I don't know why I'm here. Someone suggested I come here. I haven't drank in 10 years. Like, okay, just try a few simple suggestions, which is the 12 steps for us. Uh-huh. And then they're like, oh my God, my life is amazing. So I don't know what it is. It's a God connection, spiritual connection. I don't know. Just, and it works. Sometimes it's just support, you know, you and just like support that. and accountability. I think that's the Ooh, one thing. You that, just said the key word, accountability. accountability. Yeah. You know, it, interesting, uh, as a counselor, that's the one thing I could say is the common denominator with anyone who has abused uh, as abuse anything, any addicts, anything, yeah. uh, they can leave the addiction behind, but that accountability thing is always present. And I will tell people if they're getting into a relationship with somebody that is recovered or recovering, whatever they term it, that they're still going to have to deal with that aspect because that's the fight. It's always the fight because like you said, for different reasons, you know, the, that accountability hasn't been there because that's why they chose to use sex, shopping, you know, uh, drugs to cover up alcohol, whatever, to cover up whatever yeah. it was. And it's not being accountable to it. You know, not wanting to well, be accountable well, to well, it. one thing, oh. one thing that, you know, you just talked about there in, in our world, our recovery, you know, our DOC, which is called drug of choice. Our drug of choice was alcohol and drugs. Right. And but when you talk about the other stuff like sex, working, gambling, um, Forgot about gambling. Know, all, yeah. all this stuff, shopping, yeah. um, all those things. If I start acting out on those behaviors, that's called cross addiction. That's called right. relapse behavior. And the reason why I'm acting out on those behaviors is because something is wrong with me on the inside. So I'm seeking visible solutions for my invisible problems. I love that. I and, love and that. And that's term. addiction. Yeah. You know, that is addiction where we are really reaching out for visible things to fix what's wrong inside. 
And and to interject, for someone like me, I had no idea things were really that bad inside. I was that much in denial. I could not believe. So there was never the a hidden. moment. There was never a moment, Rachel, where you woke up and you said, "I'm not happy. I'm not happy with me." You know, it's interesting you said that because I had no idea what depression looked like. And literally someone looked at me one day and goes, because I was such a faker. I was like, no, it's great. I'm a cheerleader. And so like, ah, you know, if you could see me, we're on radio, forget. But it was like, it was, I, no, I'm good. I'm really good. But people who really knew me knew something wasn't, but they weren't saying anything because a lot of people, the healthy people around me, like she's got to go through her own path. But it's that they, she said to me, she looked at me and she goes, do you have any idea that you're depressed? You're very depressed. I go, me? No. No, I'm so happy. I'm on top of the world. Meanwhile, everything's just crumbling underneath. So I have to be very careful because things can look really good on the outside for me. And that scares me because um, I've got to make sure they connect behind the scenes and the front of the scenes. Right. I, I have a problem with that. So, uh, you know, and that, uh, that's in just masking things like anytime yes. anybody masks. I mean, I guess. You know that that that's what people use whatever they're addicted to okay. for is yeah. to mask. Yeah, great. yeah. You that said something about the, about the accountability. I do have to energize with that. Alcoholics or addicts of any sort do not like to be told what to do. Mm-mm. So interesting. It's very. It, it is. There's even they do not like to be told what to do. So here's the interesting part. Why in goodness goodness sake? Why in God's name will say? Did I? Pick a lady in the rooms that would say, call me at 8 o'clock. And she would go. I'd call her at 8.02. And she'd go, try again tomorrow. Click and hang up on me. Why did I stay? I would call 8.02 on purpose. Because you told me to call at 8. I'm calling at 8.02. <laughs> so I'm a rebel by I'll nature. show her. Yeah, exactly. And so she, she still well, does that. Yeah. 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 She's texting on the air. It just blows me away. <laughs> I have someone in crisis right now. This is good. And, uh, but it's it's like what what we're learning, you hear both things and how I can use that accountability, if you will, to explain to my sponsees or people I work with, or you even just telling you that why in God's name did I stay? I wanted that accountability so bad. I just didn't know how to do it. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I know there's origins and we've talked about whether it's, you know, hereditary, genetic, whatever, or if it's a learned behavior, mm-hmm. and then you go, where did I, where did that come from that I needed that accountability? Where did that come from that I needed to be this cheerleader? You know, because yeah. there's always an origin back to your childhood. You know what I'm that saying? I do, but see, yeah. here's the funny thing about you asking that. That I do know. I do come from a volatile home. Uh-huh. I came from a volatile home that I had a stepfather who's no longer alive, a stepfather who's abusive, and not sexually, physically. I used to be very ashamed of that. And so I faked it a lot. And then so I became the overachiever. I was the cheerleader, the good student, the good this, the good that, which I sabotaged half the time, everything. But everything became so fake to prove to this man who told me that I would never add up to anything. And so you, I know the psychological part, but why do I, why do I know that? And I don't have any solutions. So the program gave me two different worlds. They're both great worlds together, you know, outside therapy and, and then our program. But something you said too, little kid, I taught dance in college. And these little kids, I was a really strict teacher because I, I was taught that way, you know, and I'd be like, are you talking? Leave my room. I just, I had a very strict classroom and there's like 1200 students and Donna, my boss, she, she comes in one day, she goes, I just want you to know something. We're having to turn students away from your classes. I go, wait, why? Because she goes, you're too full, but they want to take your class. I go, 
am I doing something wrong? You know, that's my codependency. Is something wrong? She goes, no, your strict, your strict uh, program, if you will, those kids want that. I go, they do? Like, I guess somewhere I learned I needed that too when I was a kid. I learned that. That structure. Sports and structure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I literally would send kids out of the room. Like, I would kick kids out of the room if they said, I can't. I'm like, nope, not in my classroom. Go sit outside for five minutes. And that's, I don't, a, that's awesome. And how funny I could do those boundaries as a dance teacher and stuff like that. And then you could, as for I could never do that as an adult, like a full-blown adult. So that's interesting because I do think that there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, those would be boundaries. Okay. Right. That's, mm-hmm. Those are boundaries. And these are my boundaries in the classroom. You do this, you do this, you don't okay. do this, you don't do this, you don't say this. But so many people have great boundaries until they get into a relationship. And that's oh, where, and yeah. that's the one wow. place where their boundaries go to H-E-double-L, right? <laughs> Why is they, that? Why is that, Jennifer? Well, that's, that goes back to what you, that goes back to what you've learned. I mean, that goes back to your you know, what, what your fears and insecurities are and how you grew up and what dynamic you grew up with. Abandonment. You're afraid of being, yeah, you're afraid of being abandoned or you, this is how you were raised or you, you're an overcompensator or you're a peacemaker Mm. or whatever your role was. You, we replay those until we're, Mm. the wound is healed. So we just keep replaying those. Wow. So um, like you say, it could be abandonment. It could also be, um, Fear of getting too close, fear of because you've been hurt so much or the abuse that you endured, you're scared of getting hurt again. So you're looking for it. But interestingly enough, people that's so subconscious because people seek out if they've if they well, it's pretty, pretty commonplace. If somebody grew up with an addict as a parent, they are going to end up getting in a relationship. They're going to be the codependent. They're typically going to get into a relationship with somebody where they get to be a codependent because they learned that. So I learned that. And right out of high school, I dated one of the most volatile guys. Like the town said, stay away yeah, from let him. Me get, let me get away from my dad who's volatile. <laughs> right into and go the right arms into, of because, because it's the same energy. And, and Michael and I were talking about that. It's chaos you know, it's, it's chaos is chaos, right? right. No if you what. know chaos, it's what you're comfortable with. Even though right. you don't want it, it's what you know. Hmm. You know how to get out of it. You know how to create peace around it. You know how to create balance around it. You know how to cope around it. So it, it's you seek it out because you know what to do. That's back. Where you know what you, you know. you found a perfect relationship right. with somebody Comfortability. who was yeah, so sure. sweet with you, you well, wouldn't I can know what this. to do because you'd be like, why well, are you treating me well? What do I do with this? I don't know what, I don't have any tools in my toolbox for and this. And since you're here with him, that's what I had not dated in many years. I learned to like me, which I encourage most women to do. I learned to not seek, you know, and I'd been in so many bad relationships. Now, here's the funny thing. In therapy, I worked through the abuse. I worked, I had to understand that that is not okay. It's not okay for a man to hit a woman. It's not okay for a woman to hit a man either way. It's just not okay. I mean, we're talking knives and threats and death threats. And it had it, it gotten, it was worse wow. than my, worse than my stepdad, but it was enough. I was 19, 20 years old, didn't know how to get out of it. So fast forward to now. And Michael was so sweet to me and the, he was so affectionate and so sweet that I was like, whoa, wait, this guy's pulling something out of me. I have never felt that record scratch. I know, you, <laughs> you know, Rachel, I don't, I don't mean to, and I want to come back to that because I think that's, no, okay. that's important, okay. but you know, I think patterns are important and, and there's a lot of people out there that don't understand what you were doing 
by attracting these guys into your life is in a sense trying to pull somebody in like your dad and fix it. Right. Right. Oh, if I can, yeah. if I can fix him, I'll if I happy. can, yeah, if I can escape the abuse here, if I can make him love me enough that my dad, you know, wow. like my dad never did. And you're trying to heal that through somebody like them yeah, exactly. until you, you know, and, and that's, that's where those patterns come in. Hmm. And so until you heal, then you, then you can't, you don't stop attracting the same thing, right? right. Once you heal and you want something different in your life and you know that you need something different and that you deserve something deserve. more, That's a good word. it deserve mm -hmm. is a big word. Really um, then, then you can allow it in your life. And like when you met Michael and he treats you well, now it's a matter of how do I allow this in my life? Because I don't know how to deal with, what do I do with this great feeling? This person that's being so kind to me and good to me. I'm not used to that. Mm -mm. It's uncomfortable for me. How do I handle it? Right. And I think what, one of the things you said too, is that uh, whatever it was through the years, I I just am learning something. Of course, you run Jennifer Sires, you're going to learn something about yourself. <laughs> and she's I our think, neighbor. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm, coming over. I'm going over. I need to talk to her. <laughs> but it was like this. Here's what I'm learning. I just told you guys earlier that our addiction manifests. And how interesting, as you're talking, I'm like, oh, so I just switched one addiction to the other. Now, now remember, I've worked steps in order to get away from these addictions. But it's really interesting how it has, the more you work a spiritual program for us and we learn from people like you, okay? And you guys, you have shows like this for you too. The more that it dissipates, but it doesn't mean that it's very far away. So that's why I have to stay in recovery. For me, that's why I just thought of, I was like, okay, that's why for me, because it, it's not very far away. They say alcoholics especially have the worst forgetters. I'll wake up and forget I'm an alcoholic. And how quickly I can forget that I came from a, a volatile situation growing up. And that if I'm not careful, that it can creep back up if I'm not working on, what would you say? No, not healing. You said, um, oh, you just said it. Oh, I just got it. Whatever it is, it's the healing process. I'm not working on I that. I think that's, you know, it, it, it makes me think of faith. So when you, when you say that, it makes me think of God and how many people mm. are living, um, you know, they go to church on Sunday and they want great things, set great intentions for themselves. They leave all spiritually full, and then they Monday forget. Monday hits. Yeah, they forget. They forget yeah. to Monday pray. They forget the to pray when they wake up. They forget to hand things out. You know, they forget all the things that they wanted. You know, and, and faith is a big one. Mm -hmm. Is that how many times do we go on with our life and, and edge God out of our decisions? And My mom used to say that she had to go to church on Sunday mornings just because of the things that occurred trying to get the three of us in the car. <laughs> And get dressed. Well, talk about then, guilt. So now we got to go pray because you guys are driving yeah, me he's nuts. He's probably Catholic, right? Isn't, but isn't that interesting? You just said edging God out because that's ego. Yeah. When our ego's involved, we don't, we, we there's no uh, sense of relief, if you will. Hey, I just want to throw this out and it's food for thought just because it's here and I have to, I have to say it, but you talked about how rebellious, how rebellious you are. And it's like, tell me not to do it and I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And then. Used to. Yeah, you used to, <laughs> but you still have that character trait. But you think about the guys that you dated that were worse than your dad. You'll show your dad that you're going to get away from him. <laughs> That's so I'll true. Find, I'll find worse, dad. See? You, oh, oh, wow. Never looked isn't it? like that. That is yeah. interesting. Anyway, so, you know, it's it's uh, it's it was interesting because the other night I was talking to Michael and we were chatting about how you guys sponsor, like we, you sponsor all these people. And uh, I think that, that we had, you know, we had talked about uh, 
there's two different types of people in the world. There's service people and there's salespeople, mm -hmm. right? They can kind of fall into two mm -hmm. different categories. And the salespeople, Michael's more sales, is very business. You know, how do you wrap things up, tie together? Brad's very good at sales too. But that there's people that are service, and he described you as very service-oriented, very giving, loving, serving. Um, don't expect anything in return. Just give, 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 and overgive, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and I could see how that could be detrimental in, in, a, in your business, like trying to help people. So here you go, you get out of your addiction and now you're addicted to helping other people and you're, you know what I mean? So now you're still in that same cycle. It, it could be, but in what I've learned from the women that taught me in my pro, we're talking my program, right? Um, that boundary set right. is for the, like for my, my situation, the women I sponsor, are coming to me with problems and they're running them by me. I know you've been through this before. What do you think? And I'm like, well, this is what the thing is. So when you say help, I'm sitting in front of them with a big book talking about the program. Anything else is extra, you know, and it's, we learn boundaries and how to get close to people. What happened with me, before, let me tell you before the program, my friendships were all this. Right. What can you give me? Or I'm giving you everything. There was no in between. And what we learn in the program is a little bit of balance. And we all talk about God. That's the best part. And how giving of somebody, these women, let me tell you, this is how selfish we can be. When I first got in the program, I was losing everything. And I mean everything. My life, everything. I just did not want to live. I didn't want to live. I hated my life. I couldn't drink anymore. I didn't drug anymore. I, I didn't know. I didn't even know how to cope with life. But these women from this room that I went to, a support group, you know, the room we're in, would come to my house. These people drop food off to my house. I'm like, what? What do you want? What do you What do you need? What do you want? They would come and spend a week with me gutting my house out. Plumber guys would come by from the groups and help me. They were getting me on my feet. I have the responsibility to give that back, but with boundaries. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So I just had a, I had someone in my life literally pay for me to come. She's moving paid for my flight down there and my meals for two. I was there for 48 hours to go and help her. Nothing went as planned. Nothing. I had a lot of guilt about not getting to do what we needed to do for her house and stuff like that. What a gift though, that I could be there. It meant the world. I was there with her getting her into that new house. And this is somebody who's recovering. Yes. And yeah. and for eight years, I've never had that happen. Yeah. Never. No, nothing like that's ever happened. So, so there's what, a great, there's a great support system available. And I, I would, and you I would imagine that you, you know, people would need that because Life is, I mean, our, all our addictions are in our face every day. Every day. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's alcohol, drugs, sex, porn, shopping, gambling. There's so, everything's there and it's available. Visible. Right? It, visible. Visible stuff. And, and, I, and I will attest that, that, that Rachel works such a great program that there's a, there, as a being in a relationship with her, there's a jealousy that I have that it's like, why can't we talked about that? You know, there's a jealousy there going, man, why, why can't I do that? It's kind of like, it's almost where I start, the disease gets active in my head and I start shaming myself going, man, I don't work that good of a program. You know, I'm, I'm a loser. You know, I don't, you know, she has what we call sponsee. She has a, and women and men are different. I'm just going to step out there. I mean, you know, a, you heard a, it here first, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a breaking news, a sparrow, awesome. a sparrow, you know, a bird will come by and crap on the hood of the car and Rachel and all the girls start calling each other, trying to figure it out. 
You know, that happens to me. I'm not going to call Brad. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's got to, my hair has got to be on fire and it has to be someone else's fault that I can prove it. Yeah. Then I'm going to call Brad. Yeah, I want him to co-sign on it. Right. So doesn't that, so doesn't that fall into that category though, where you look and you say, um, I'm not as good as her at this and I'm jealous and I'm feeling this animosity. That's, that's, that's real talk. Right. That's real talk. But that's a self-esteem thing. That is. So that's all about. That's all about, okay, that's what she, that's her area of brilliance. This is where she is brilliant. I'm going to let her have that. Where are mine? Because that's her and I need to celebrate her. Right. But I have my areas of brilliance and I'm sure she acknowledges the same in you. She looks at you and says, how did you do that? And how did you do that? And why couldn't I do that? And why didn't I think of that? Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So every that's that's the beauty of relationships. And that's a good is, relationship. Yeah, it is. It's that you come that's together strong. and that you have uh, strengths in different right. places and you can help each other. Right. Right. That's right. And early recovery, it is suggested uh, by the people that are around us who have more sobriety than us. Relationships and early recovery is dangerous. Very dangerous. You don't know each other. Very dangerous. Because the number one offender for addiction, addicts of anything that take us back to that visible vice to fix the invisible problem is resentments, right? Me personally, I have a hard time, I'm getting better at it, processing resentments. What is the solution to a resentment? And now I've got solutions to a resentment, and but in early recovery, I've got nothing to offer Rachel until I learn how to trust God. I clean my house. I got to make sure I know who I am and what my character defects are. So, and then I trust, uh, I give it to others. So would that's you say it's a lack of, to- yeah, yes. that's a, it's a lack of tools. You, got, I mean, you have a different toolbox and it's a lack of tools, right? But I mean, how many times have you <laughs> told me and your folks that follow you and everything is you have to be healthy first. Yeah. And, and that's without an addictive nature. Right. So I don't think that ever changes. If right. we're not healthy in any aspect of our lives, we're not ready to bring someone else into that. And I, either. that is definitely. And then so, we wonder why we bounce and bounce around. Yeah. And I'm seeing, oh, three months here and a month there. Right. And, like attracts like. You know. Yeah. But, and we're never completely healthy because you could be well, completely healthy. I, I can say as a coach, I've been counseling people and then I'll say something. And I'll be like, woo. <laughs> I needed to hear no, that. I need to hear like, myself. Oh, yeah. I need to go. About. So that's I what sponsorships about. This. Yeah. yeah. Do what? That's basically what sponsorships about. Yeah. But we do say, I'm not a therapist. You might need outside help. Yeah. But hey, in the book, it says there. I want to. I want to bring it back to love. Oh God. <laughs> okay. Okay. Barry What's White. love got to do Barry with White. it? Love it back got to, to do. Love. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, um, we were talking narcissism, narcissism, and hmm. all of that craziness that's involved with those folks. And there's some pretty clear-cut signs if you're in a relationship with a narcissist, right? It's kind of clinical almost. So I would like you to help our listeners understand, is there signs? Because the addict probably will not know they're an addict, right? That's fair enough to say. That's why they're an addict. Right. They know there's right? a problem. But they don't They don't address they don't really it. Though. They don't really know if they have a problem. They don't really yeah, address right. it. They don't address right? it. No, it's yeah. just but me. But it's not yeah. me. There's a problem. It's Something's not right. It's your fault. But it's, I'm not going to say it's me. But how about some, what about the other party, the the husband or the wife or the girlfriend or the boyfriend is sitting there going, something's wrong here, but I just can't. Are there yeah. signs? Like, what are some of the things? Because life becomes unmanageable for know? the people around them, but it's not unmanageable for the, uh, for the, addi- the person that's addicted, but until it's unmanageable, like you said, well, Michael. And, and well, in certain instances, in my experiences with family, 
the other parties covered up. Well, we talked about this on the phone the other night, Brad. Yeah. You know, so this is a family disease. No. It yeah, is, a, it is sure. a family disease, and and you know the addict, the addict in a family is like a roaring tornado. It's it's like it's like going to a family reunion and and throwing a hand grenade in the middle of the family reunion. Right. Half the family jumps on the hand grenade, and the other half runs away. Right. You know that that's the perfect visual of the disease. Right. And you know it's interesting because it's like the the person that has whatever problem or addiction it may be, they're at the center of this family, the center of the of the problem. And everybody else, everybody else is running around them. So somebody that's in a relationship with an addict, the addict's just doing their behavior. They're just doing their thing. They're drinking or they're drugging or they're sexing or they're whatever they're doing. And it's not a problem for them. Did you say sexing? So, I don't know what that is. I'm hashtag, sexing. I don't know. Hashtag sexing. Yes. Sexing. <laughs> um, but, uh, but whatever they're doing, that's the addiction. They're just doing it. And it's the that person that's the codependent that's running around them and changing their life and changing their attitude and changing their mindset and compensating and making excuses. Mm. It's oh that God. person Having whose PTSD. life is way more unmanageable. And that's why you need Alan. Yeah, that's, that's the unmanageable <laughs> This is part. very serious what you're talking it about is. here. This no, is life is. or death because so many times an addict will get honest. Let's say, okay, I'm ready to go get help. And they leave and go to a 90-day inpatient treatment program, all right? And they go and they are really surrendering and working a program, all right? Right. Is the codependent 90 days in recovery too? Or are they still yes. sitting in their resentments and guilt and shame and anger and remorse? And so when the addict comes back, all right? Same pattern. And raw, He's been through this. And yeah. then they see, and they see the wife that is just still furious holding on to resentments. What happens is, is I get fear, anxiety, and I, I go, you know what? This program doesn't work. I'm not doing it. And then there's the cycle Well, I'll tell again. you, the other thing that happens is that person that comes back from recovery is a completely different person. It freaks people it, out. And, and the codependent or the person, the other person in relation is going, who the hell are you? Oh, yeah. That's my so story. And if it's they're a with the codependent, then person. they're like, okay, I used to be able to fix you, and now you're not letting me do the things, and I can't play my role now. I have, right? the, per- I have the perfect short. It's real quick. This just recently happened. You know, my family is, your family is the last to understand that you've changed. I'm a different person, and I'm not sharing some things with some family members because I don't want, I share with one person right now, and that's my sponsor. No drama. I don't want to. It's just, I don't want to gossip. I don't, I want to figure out how I can get to the root of the problem. Therapist, sponsor, where, where this is my recommendation because those people are sick enough in my family that I wouldn't share certain details about a situation and they went nuck and futz. They completely went nuts because I, they're, it's just new, new behavior. They were like, wait a minute. She usually shares everything with us. And like, you know, then the whole family right. knows and then right. everything. And then we're back to Rachel. And Rachel's dramatic world that everybody was always trying to fix because I'm the addict and alcoholic. That's right. a great example. That. Right. I mean, and that is, anymore. and yeah. then I go out and relapse. And guess what? Here's the root of the problem. Why did I relapse? Resentment. Here we go again. Here he the goes number again. one offender. Uh-huh. I went back out because of resentment. Jennifer, why aren't you telling me good job every 15 minutes? Uh-huh. You know, I need you to tell me I'm doing great. I've been sober for 98 days and you haven't once told me good job. All right. well, and and, and, wow. and th- some fun. of the things I experienced too with my family was they come back and they're like, I don't need you. Yeah. I don't yeah. need anything in my life because the particular program these people went through are 
oh no, you have to take care of yourself first, mm -hmm. always, 100% of the time, because everything mm -hmm. else out there is what led you to, to drink. Right. The world huh. led you to drink because you can't handle the world. So only handle yourself and your, so then it's like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Well, I, I really need a ride to school. No. Ride the bus. I mean, that's right. very extreme. That's you know, I saying, wish but, I had a yeah. real. You know, there's, <laughs> I get it. There, there's, but they come back. Like certain programs are different, obviously, yeah. and it's probably changed because this is thirty years. It, ago. Remember, each person's but, different too. So yeah, yeah but, it's what they hear. So then it becomes this whole, nah, screw it. I'm not doing that because that will not that might trigger me again. Oh, so again, okay. it's a whole crazy I different. Whole, I think the point of all of this is if there is somebody. Okay, so if you do, if you have somebody in your life that is addicted. Um, how do you get that person help? How do you get that person help? So I get asked this all the time when okay. I'm, when I'm on media tours and I'm out speaking and, and the normal person, I'll never forget this. I was on a deal. Can I say ESPN? I did it, but a, a ESPN <laughs> deal show in Champaign, Illinois. And it, this is where it very first started. A guy said, listen, what is the solution to this opioid crisis? What is the solution to alcoholism? And the solution is so simple that it just baffles people. So if you have a family member or a friend or a loved one that is struggling with alcoholism or drug addiction, all right, and let's just for the conversation, it's a man, all right, go find a man that is in recovery from alcoholism. Get those two men together and leave the room. That's the solution. Wow. Is one alcoholic working with another, one drug addict working with another, because it's amazing what happens. I, and I encourage people, I know this sounds crazy, if you really want to know, okay, I have a family member that it, she, it baffles her. She does not think I'm an alcoholic. She does not think. I go, so here's what I ask you to do. Read the first 164 pages of our book, our big book, and you will know afterwards what I deal with. It literally explains it. So I tell people, I'm like, instead of being so curious about why the alcoholic is doing it, if you really want to know if you are or if they are or whatever, if you're just that curious, read that book. Because the book actually explains it, and he says it perfect. Or you can call AA or I'm not supposed to say that. You can say that AA.org and ask for, hey, I have a family member, and then they'll they'll guide you. There's right? a bunch the of there's office. a bunch of groups out there. AA.org, NA.org, there's oh, yeah, yeah, Alanon.org. Yeah. You know, there's Cocaine so, Anonymous. So I think that's important again, yeah. though, to say that's that that uh, Alanon. If you can't get them in recovery or can't get them to admit and get help then you're the one that needs to go get help. You're the one exactly. that needs to go because if when you, and it's just like in counseling, like I might have a couple come in and one of the husband or wife doesn't want to come in. And it's usually they're the ones that are the problem. They don't want to come in. If I change that one person's behavior that does want to come in and they start treating that person differently or acting differently or responding differently to things, it changes the whole dynamic. Mm -hmm. So one person can change a relationship. So if they're not going to get help, you can get help. And right. I think that's key. So in the Al-Anon program, what I learned very on, there was this lady, she's been in the program like 40 years. And she goes, and she's chosen to stay with her. Uh, she's chosen to stay with her active alcoholics. Some people don't. They, they recommend for a year, you don't make any big decisions. But she said, um, she goes, here's the thing. He gets his bottle. He hides it underneath the thing. She's done everything. Interventionist, all the things. And she decided to stay. And she goes, so... I have a great life. So he pulls out his bottle. I take the dogs for a walk. Come back, make some dinner, go see some friends. And I thought that was, see how elementary that was, what she just said? She's like, I just went for a walk with the dogs and went and looked at the trees and hung out with friends. I'm in <laughs> denial. It's that simple. <laughs> yeah. 
instead yeah. of going. Or they're not. She's just not dealing with it. Yeah. So well, she's there's two, yeah. There's so two she's sides. just running away from it in in that. Quote, no, no, unquote, no. After thirty years, you know, she tried. She yeah, tried. She's over. Yeah, exactly. She's, she's over, over it. it. So Good she's like, I'm just gonna go do my thing, and he I can do his if thing. You're, if you're, I don't know that you're loving somebody if you allow that kind of behavior. You allow them to destroy themselves, and you sit back and watch. And I think that's the hardest thing. It was hard enough for her because she, after he he was diagnosed with something, and that's what I need to tell you. He was diagnosed with something, and with the medicines and stuff like that, he would not put the liquor bottle down. And she was getting sicker and sicker. Her her health was declining. She wasn't doing well. So she loves him. She was there. She but as far as folk, I guess my I, let me be clear. Focusing on the addict is where we get sick. Right. We right. get really sick. It's and that, another visible thing to fix an invisible problem. Right. It's dancing. Just it's, get it's better. It's being that tornado around that person constantly. Your life is constantly in chaos trying why they're just doing their thing. Right. She's exactly. running around compensating and doing all, make, changing all her behaviors. And you I know, think that's a good, uh, the not dealing with it. I like that Brad said that though, too. There is that side too. There is a not dealing with yeah. it too that we ha- almost have denial. To, yeah, denial is different than not. De- and like, like that he said that because you're right. It, it is a point where you're like, I can't deal with it. Anymore. I just can't. You know what I mean? Well, I, I, I love that you guys came in. I love that you're in a real relationship with each other and you're both recovering. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the biggest part for me that was interesting, and I, we don't have time to get into it. I don't think. But, uh, but you guys talking about the fact that you both have your own sponsors, so. If you have a problem and you feel like you're weak one day or you're feeling uh, jealous or you're feeling codependent or whatever it is, that you can't go to your best friend in your relationship because that's where I think people would go to. And you guys can't do that. So it's kind of a different, totally different well, dynamic. She's teaching would me you, that. I mean, would I, you recommend addicts being in a relationship with each other? Is it good? Is that a good thing? If you work a program. Yeah, I think absolutely. So. If you're working it together. Two people working a program is amazing. Listen, our first, our first five months of the relationship, man, it's, it was outstanding. Okay. And then things start happening. Okay. And we're, we're, we're uncomfortable around each other. It's just a result of that. We're not just trusting God and letting it happen. You know, it's, it, I, I, and the neat, but here's the great thing about all of this. When there is drama in the relationship for the first time in my life, I can't speak for Rachel. I do see what role I play in it. And we have conversations that are heated and I'm doing stuff, Jennifer, I've never done before in a heated conversation. I will say, you know what, Rachel, you're right. You are right about that. I got you. The old me, number one, I wouldn't stick around. Right. And number two, I wouldn't admit that. Right. My ego is so high, but I will go, even as mad as I am, I will sit there. And usually the reason why I'm so mad, I'm mad at myself, you know, but I'll look at it. I go, you know what? You are exactly right what you're saying. And I don't know why I'm doing the things that I'm doing, but I'm going to try to make it better. And that we have the tools as a relationship, almost like, I'd like that you did say that you can't go to your best friend. I don't look at it like that. Um, I am this person. I just like, I don't want him using heroin in front of me. I don't want the drama in my house. I don't know how to deal with it. I'm not a coper. I don't cope. So why not work out the drama here and then enjoy each other? That's what I've learned in this part of the relationship. There you go. But Survival inside, skills. you wanted to just be a kid and be mm-hmm. soft and loving and sweet, but your life didn't allow that. And I think that that's, it, that's important for everybody to hear is that, you know, when you finally get to be yourself, and I think so many women today, they've, they've, they, they are in that cycle of trying to be, I am woman, hear me roar. I'm mm-hmm. so tough. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we need men. 
Yes, we, we need do. that. We need that. We we need to be feminine. And they need to be masculine, and we need yes. e- we need to need each other. And it's such a relief to to need somebody to be it able really to is. be to that point that that you can say, I do need another person. I do need that energy. I don't want to do this all myself. I don't want to make all the decisions myself. I want that partnership, and that's where the the balance gets to come in. And, and I love that you let him be be vulnerable and weak and love him for that. Cause that's so big for a man to not have to be tough guy all the time and to be able to be soft, open, honest, and, and not strong all the time. And that is something that was admirable in the beginning is that he was just so open about his recovery and the things that he'd been through that he shocked me. And then I ever, I thought everything that came out of his mouth was a lie. And I'm because meant to me, I had a bad experience. Oh my God. <laughs> Once I started learning the truth, like I'm talking about when we first started dating, I was like this before I was like, wow. And he's kind and he's, his heart's huge and he really wants to stay, you know, sober and help others no matter the life he went through. And that's new and for he me. Is. I, usually I'd be like this. Well, uh, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm independent. I'm good. I'm good. I don't need this. I don't need a man. And really that's, it's not who I want. It's when, what you bring out of each other. And that bad, there are times, there are bad days when you don't bring the best out of each other, but how, how do you cope with it? Right. How do you, how do you find the tools to make it work? Well, I love that you two are a great team. Michael, I love the fact that you've created this podcast out of your life story, out of your challenges, out of your, uh, just all the things you've had to go through. And I'm sure you learn every day, but the, the way that you're serving people today is exactly why God put you here. It's mm-hmm. exactly why you went through what you went through. There's no doubt about it. That's real talk. So regardless of what things you're have been stripped away from your life, um, you know, who you were, who you thought you were and who you are, this is who you are, right. you know, and God will rebuild from there. Right. right. That's right. Um, and he is rebuilding because your podcast is amazing. And if people need to find you, where would, uh, where would they go? They just go to M to the rock. Uh, you know, the letter M, the number two. And you uh, do video rock. podcasts. We too. do, uh, we do digital, digital media, which is everything is visual. And then we download it to podcast. And, you know, I'm speaking for Rachel and I, we can't thank you enough for letting us, you know, be on your show. I've been following you for years and I'm just so, I'm so glad that we've become friends and, Me too. and people need to know that listen to this is that Jennifer's a student, you know, Jennifer comes down to the house and we sit and talk and she opens up and Jennifer is, That's right. I mean, she's a student and she is trying to stay well on a daily basis. And, yeah. and I he's always calling me too. And- <laughs> well, I just, yeah. But I wish y'all like, would, seriously. I wish y'all would take this show visual so people can see the dress that Brad's wearing. I know it's really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's Dior. It matches his lipstick. It. Come on. <laughs> I got that at Sephora. <laughs> Brad, you're too easy. I had to take a shot at you. No, before. I, agree, you know, I love it. <laughs> well, Don't scare me. I enjoyed having you both. Thank, thank you. you. And I'm sure we'll do it again. We love you. Thank uh, you so much. I love much. you too. Yes. I love you. And thanks for, you know, for all of this, because I, him being radio or doing this too, and us as musicians, that it's still an entertainment field. And it, we're, we're still people need, are looking for this and how many people that can be helped through 
music, radio, Right, all the different places. And go check out Rachel Stacey Music. Um, She's a beast. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. I meant to bring my t-shirt and wear it so we could get some pics. Oh, you're the best. You're unbelievable. She just sang at Sturgis. Did you know that? She was at Sturgis. That's unbelievable. That's a big gig. Double encore. That's a big old gig. And you're beautiful. So there you go. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Welcome to our Dear Jen segment. Today, I have a question from a gentleman. Uh, Basically, in a nutshell, he wrote me and told me that he's dating multiple women. Uh, He's got a couple women that he's going out with. And he was at the gym and he took a gym selfie, a bodybuilding picture is what he called it, with workout pants on, probably no shirt or tank top or something. I don't know. I I did not see the picture, but he said he got, he had took a picture and sent it to both women he was dating. And one of the women uh, was very positive about it and turned around and sent a bikini picture of herself in return. And the other was judgmental and negative and said she wouldn't go out with him again. And so he said, why did I send the same picture to both women and get such a different response response? And why are women so critical of guys and analyze guys you know, so much over issues that are fine to other women. Um, I think the answer in a nutshell is it's not a woman thing and it's not a judgmental thing and it's not a critical thing. Uh, each person is different. Each individual is different. And, you know, it, it may have been better received if number one, it was requested. Uh, number two, it was individualized, meaning maybe you two had been having a discussion about bodybuilding And so then you send the picture because it relates to the conversation you were having with them, the personal conversation. But the fact that we take a picture and we send it to multiple people and then wonder why we get different responses, you know, it, it probably didn't feel right to her. You crossed a boundary maybe with one that you didn't with the other. Uh, you know, like I said, and, and it, it, if it was unrequested, I mean, it's just, we have to take into account the individual when we're dating. Uh, so even if you are dating multiple people, which is why we, you know, don't always recommend it because you do, or you can lose that that connection to somebody and, and, you know, taking the time to get to know them, you know, what are the buttons you need to push? What are your boundaries? All of those things matter. Uh, all of those things matter, which is why somebody wants you to, you know, take the time to focus on them and getting to know them individually. So, uh, let's not put women or men in a box and say that, you know, they're critical or they overanalyze everybody's an individual, take the time to get to know them, what's okay with them, what's not okay with them, and treat them with that respect as you're getting to know them. And that that will make a world of difference in building a solid, healthy, trusting relationship. So there is your Dear Jen segment for uh, the day. And you can uh, write to us at dearjen at lovejen.com with your dating uh, or love question. Thanks for listening. This is Jennifer. Thanks for listening today. And please subscribe to the podcast. Every single week, we'll have new information. And if you'd like to find out more information or if you have any questions, please go to my website at lovegen.com or you can find me on Facebook at my personal page, Jennifer Styers.